0: Be for the honey be, be for the yeah. Be for
1: the honey be, be for the Uh-huh I'm ready I know you are Come on Hello and you are alive in the hive with the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz. That's Squid 90.7 and online at ksqd.org in Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Community Radio. Uh, I'm the host this week, Lisa Allen-Ortiz, and I'm here with Meg Freitag, a former Santa Cruz Um, resident who is now studying uh, at the Iowa Writers' Workshop. We are going to be talking about her book, Edith. Uh, Meg Freitag was born in Maine. She has a BA from Sarah Lawrence College and an MFA from UT Austin's Michener Center for Writers, where she was a finalist for the 2015 Keene Prize for Literature. Her work can be found in Tin House, Boston Review, Black Warrior Review, Narrative, and Indiana Review. Meg's first book, Edith, was selected by Dorian Locks as winner of the 2016 Boat Book Prize and was published by Boat Press in late 2017. Currently, Meg is studying fiction at the Iowa Writers' Workshop and she lives in Iowa City with her partner, Mark, and their dog, Ramona Quimbley, age eight, which is the best <laughs> ever for <laughs> a dog. And actually, do you know what I want to ask you about that um, in way of introduction? Um, do, uh, you must be a Ramona Quimbley fan. I sure am. Yeah. And, uh, you were you a reader as a young kid? I was.
0: Yeah. Um, my, my mom is a, uh, she's a school librarian, um, like an elementary school librarian. Um, and that was something she came into a little later in life. Um, but, um, you know, she's always loved books and always loved children's literature. So she, um, read to me Quite a bit as a child, um, so that was my introduction to reading in general and um, R- Ramona Quimby. Um, but tr- tr- truth be told, I was actually more of a, B- a Beesus fan. Um, <laughs> being the, being an older sister.
1: <laughs> oh, you were the oldest, so you see, I'm oldest too, and also really could understand Beesus. Was- yeah,
0: I really related to her. Um, but my my dog Ramona is just her personality is much much more Ramona, so.
1: Oh, that's good to have a dog. Yeah. I wouldn't really want a dog with a Beezus personality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's
0: it's funny though. She's getting a little older. She's like um, six and a half now and she's, she's turning into a little bit more of a of a Beezus, but um, when she was a puppy, she was definitely a little, a little, a little brat, a little pest, um, with with a heart of gold, you know, what
1: were some other favorite books of yours when you were a kid? Oh gosh.
0: Um, you know, I don't know why that question is so hard to answer because I, I loved so many books when I was a kid. Um, but I mean, I really liked, um, you know, I really liked like Beverly Cleary's books. I really liked Judy Bloom. Um, I was very into the Babysitter's Club. Um, there, there were a lot of books when I was like much younger too, um, like, like picture books um, that I'm having a hard time recalling the names for, but that were definitely pretty, um, pretty informative. Um, I really, I really liked like horror, horror books. Um, so I started out um, reading goosebumps books uh, and then pretty quickly graduated to Stephen King. Um, he was like probably the, um, he was like my, probably my favorite author of my childhood. I started reading him when I was in like third or fourth grade oh. Um and like read every single book that he'd published up until that point, like within two years. Um, so I started, I started
1: on him pretty young, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, that it's funny. It's a good time to ask you to read a poem um, because the first <laughs> poem I was going to have you read is Buildings Roman, just because yeah. of people who aren't familiar with Edith and your work to get to know you a little bit. And I'm so curious about you as a person. Um, and it's so I, I just have a lot of questions about this poem, and I think it um, gives people a taste of your writing. So I think it's on page what, uh, 38 of Edith. Yeah, it I've got
0: it, got it right here. Um, Buildings Roman. I thought my coming of age would have come by now, but my hunger is centurion. My appetite a hatchet that won't chop all the way through. When I was 10, I found all my own baby teeth on the front lawn after a cross-country move. One of my mother's boxes had upturned. Without thinking, I tried putting the teeth back in my mouth, but there was nowhere left for them to go. I carried them in my pencil case for days. I couldn't stop thinking about the sound they made when they clinked together like tiny dice and how white they were, so white. They were almost grey around the edges. In the end, I buried them in the shallow woods behind the new house. I honestly believed a tree would a tree would grow there and afterward was terrified that the tree would look like me and my father would see it and know what I'd done. A few weeks ago, I lost my favorite shoes on a golf course in a thunderstorm. With my glasses fogged up, I couldn't find my way back to the party and walked around the city barefoot, despair sinking in with a vanilla milkshake somewhere between Airport Boulevard and 2.30 (laughs) a.m. Cleopatra wore lipstick made out of crushed ants and carmine beetles and died at 38. I've lived out my life in half hours like a train. It's happened again. I think I'm falling in love. How trill and lonesome and unlike God, the sound of cicadas husking themselves by the thousands in the Whataburger parking lot.
1: I just love that poem. And now that I know you were a Stephen King reader, of course, <laughs> <laughs> I think you part differently, which was so much before kind of a natural history thing, but really, art, it is quite gruesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it
1: definitely is. Um, I love the title so much, too, that that is, um, that is what we do, right, when we're looking through our, or trying to discover who we are, who we become as a young person. We're just planting teeth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I also just love that phrase, in the end, I buried them in the shallow woods, which is kind of a fiction phrase, too, in the end, and it comes in yeah. the middle of the poem. <laughs> So, what was your relationship with the natural world growing up? You grew up in Maine. Now, I have a different. From reading this poem, I have a, I've never been to Maine. But it totally changed my idea of what Maine was like. For something,
0: <laughs> you got to go. It's a great place. Yeah. Um, when I guess my um, my relationship to the natural world growing up. Um, I mean, living living in living in Maine, and I, and I actually lived in a, f- a few other places as well. But Maine was the, um, the place where I, I guess I spent. The majority of the time when I was a kid um it's like um you know you well I I spent a lot of time outside at least during the summer like the summer is pretty the summer is pretty brief and wonderful and you just want to spend all of your time outside um so we had a a lot of woods behind our house and I would spend most of my days in the woods um are there cicadas there
1: is that where the cicadas come from?
0: The cicadas are in um, Texas. Okay, that's what these cicadas come from. Um, I don't know. There might be cicadas in Maine. I can't quite remember. They like don't. I, I, they don't show up every year, right? It's like only every few years. I've done um,
1: experience with them, but keep going. Yeah. Would, anyway, <laughs> so the woods your house. So the woods behind your
0: house. Yeah. So the woods behind my house, and um, I would I would always. Um, you know, I I would spend a lot of time with like little animals that I could catch in my hands, like frogs or little lizards. Um, I was a big tadpole fan. I had um, some tadpole colonies that I would keep in my garage and I would wait for them to turn into frogs and then I would let them go. Um, But yeah, you know, just, just spending a lot of time outside and exploring. Uh, I guess that was my, that was my relationship with the natural world for the, most part. That was kind of the extent of it when I was a kid,
1: yeah. Isn't it weird about tadpoles that they're such so <laughs> a part of our life when we're a kid? And then yeah. I'm not like I thought that they stopped existing. <laughs> because I they were such a part of my life and then they're not, and then um Yeah, you just stop looking here, for it. And them. it's not very long. Like I noticed with my kids when they got started catching tadpoles, it's only like a year or two of your life when that's so interesting to you and yeah. to actually go out and get them. Um, and I'm sorry for any kid who doesn't have that experience. That experience. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary <laughs> that one <laughs> thing turns into another. I know. And you watch it happen so gradually. Yeah. Um, and those yeah. weird creepy legs they get. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, you have a lot of, bugs in here I'm just I was just thinking when you were talking about the little animals like well in this poem you have um the crushed ants and beetles that she made Mm -hmm. lipstick out of which is also kind of a tadpole thing right like transformation of one thing into another like yeah sure and some other bugs come up in here um did you have a spiritual life as a child um
0: you know I I no, not 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 anything that was like really that I knew that I knew what it was, I guess. Like I didn't think of myself as having a spiritual life. Um but I definitely um I guess maybe this kind of goes along with my interest in horror fiction and Stephen King, but I was I was very, very interested in um ghosts. I was like convinced that they existed. Um and I thought about them a lot. Um and I guess I I mean I guess maybe that because I like had a lot of existential malaise as like a young child too. Like um, you know, I would contemplate a lot about my own existence and like what it meant to be alive. Um and I would like I would do this, I would do this thing where I would stare at my reflection in the mirror and I would think, This is me, this is me. And I would like almost kind of disassociate like would be some like part of my mind that would unlatch from itself, and I would feel like I was seeing myself from outside my body. Um, and I would do that sometimes and really freak myself out. And I, I think that that felt probably that, that felt probably like akin to some kind of spirit, spirituality for me. Um, but I grew up; my family was um, Catholic, and so I, I did grow up going to church. I went to Catholic school in elementary school, um, and even though that was like a part of my You know, my my daily life, I guess it wasn't something that I really ever felt on a a deeper level. So, um, you know, while that might from the outside look like something that would constitute spirituality, I don't think it ever really, um, you know, touched down inside me in any meaningful way. Unlike the mirror conversation. Unlike the
1: mirror, yeah. (laughs) Which is definitely a spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old were you when you did the mirror thing? Can you guess? Like, were you closer to 14 or closer to seven?
0: Um, I was closer to seven probably. Yeah. Like it was probably right around, right around then, maybe even a little younger. Um, and then it kept work, it kept working. Like I, you know, I would do it every, I know, try it out every couple weeks or so. It it really freaked me out though. It like really freaked me out. Um, uh, so I was always like, you know, felt like I was kind of playing with fire a little bit when I did it. Um, and did you
1: talk to anyone about that or was that your own private
0: no it was my own it was my own private thing i never i never talked to anyone about it but then actually when i got older um my sister like randomly mentioned it like having done it herself and i realized like uh like oh this is actually probably something that like children like that is like a nat- like a natural thing that some children do um since like my sister also did it like completely separate from me um
1: I don't know if that's natural. I don't know. Yeah. I don't
0: know. <laughs> maybe just like, it just, I don't know. It's like, horrendous. maybe it just runs in our family. I don't know, but it wasn't just me. Um, but I never, I never, I'd actually never talked to someone about it up until that point.
1: That's sweet that she said that happened to her too, you know, that, that, because that could yeah. be disorienting because people don't talk. I mean, we don't talk about consciousness and totally anything like that, especially with kids and it could be really disorienting. Um, if you didn't have a sister to. Yeah. <laughs> you too. It also like, I think it made me feel a little
0: less, like a little less special or something. Like I was like, um, oh. like I felt it was like something kind of like special and like mystical about me or something. And then when I found out that I wasn't the only one, I was like, oh, I guess it's might just be like, I don't know. It may something a little, a little less special.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting too. Because because you guys yeah. want those moments to be they're so personal that they take up a lot of space. They take uh-huh. a you. Wow, that's really true. <laughs> of course, I mean it seems like the book Edith, um, which we haven't said yet, is of um mostly told to the person of Edith who is a dead parakeet. I'm sorry, a yeah. a parakeet. Um and it definitely explores the idea of speaker and reader, and who I can't remember. You, I came across an interview where you said, Did you use the word apostrophic? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, Is that the term for when you're speaking to someone? Um, so, yeah, Edith is the uh, apostrophic address here because yep. the poems are addressed to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of transformation in here too. So it's really sweet to think of a a little Meg really <laughs> herself and then an older Meg. A tr- kind of finding I like I found this um book really looks at a lot finds finds kinship with so much of the so much of the world, natural and emotional world. Um, huh, yeah. So that's interesting. let's get back on track here. Um, (laughs) I think since we we better introduce the book, I think the best way to introduce the book is if you don't mind reading uh, When Edith Doesn't Have a Body. Sure. first poem, and it kind of gives somebody who's not familiar with the book an idea of what's going on.
0: Yeah. um,
1: When Edith Doesn't Have a Body. Oh, sorry. There's um, one word in here that the FCC – W- would frown on team? Are you comfortable just skipping it, or you could make a little beeping sound? It's in the last, the second to last line. Yes. You know, I'll I'll
0: I'll, re- I'll replace it. I'll put I'll okay. put something else in. Instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's an essential poem, but I, I don't want to. get this. Yeah, no, no. I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, when Edith doesn't have a body, nothing else to do with my fingers. I shell pistachios into a red plastic cup. I leave the meats in a little pile beside the brass ashtray like I would when Edith still had such thing as an appetite before I started thinking about heaven, like a two way mirror laid down for her to walk on. It's almost like she just started flying, but then didn't stop. Except it didn't happen that way. Edith died on the kitchen floor halfway beneath the radiator. It took me an hour to find her. And when I finally did, I wanted to call to her in the other room, saying, Edith, I found her. I wanted to say to her, Edith, are you perched tight? Because shoot, this is going to break your heart.
1: Every time I read that poem, I get my heart broken by that last line so much that she's talking to someone about someone who's not there. Just, I love it so much. I also want to say hello, there's a two-way mirror in here and um, uh, Edith is on the other side of it. So uh, I I think I better write a thesis about your work. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? Did you know that before you had that conversation before just now? Did you think of that mirror and your mirror as a kid?
0: No, I never thought about that, Lisa. Wow.
1: I mean, it really does have that sense because you're talking to Edith the way in that kind of, um, you know, you're talking to Edith, you're more self-consciously, of course, and more publicly than you would talk to yourself as a kid. But it's interesting that there's that mirror too, mirror there. And yeah, I, my mind, my mind is kind of blown right now. Kind <laughs> of weird. And I had underlined that line just because I do think there's a lot of that in the book about um, the two way mirror, seeing ourselves reflected and, being able to see the world at the same time, right? A two-way mirror.
0: Yeah. Wait, what is a two-way mirror? Is it? A two-way mirror is like the kind of mirror that they use in like, I was just about to say like cop like cop shows, but it's like actually just like police like police officers,
1: you know, it's like- oh, they- One way is a mirror and one way is a window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can look right. in only so one person. One person's person. looking in and one person's seeing themselves. Yeah. And yeah. So the speaker in most of this book, I'm just trying to figure this out. I guess she goes back and forth between both sides. In fact, well, later I was going to have you reading Lost, the Ghost of the Lowbush. Let's remember that. Okay. Later. Um, I read an interview with you. I think I mentioned that interview that I read. Um, Mm -hmm. It said when you were writing the edith poems you first started writing to her when she was alive as a yeah. kind of writing exercise for yourself yep um and then she died in the midst of that t- at that time yes okay um that was real that really was strange to me because the book reads so much as if You know, just reads naturally from that. You know, it's a made thing, (laughs) the book that's formatted so much that I just am right there with you when Edith dies in that first poem. And then the rest of the poem, you have to address her. Once I read that, I realized, oh, some of these maybe were written. I can't remember which one when she was still alive. Like it's still addressed to her as a a living. Yeah. Yeah,
0: there are a few in here where she's just like addressed like, you know, as if she is actually in the next room like in an actual body Mm -hmm. um and those were written when she was still when she was still alive yeah um and then uh yeah about about six months or so into the project she died and then the project it ended up taking like a much um you know much different different turn (laughs) got a little um got a little darker and heavier um and did the poems
1: become darker and heavier because of your sorrow about her loss, or because you found that addressing, continuing to address her, yeah, sad because she wasn't. It was no longer funny. Like before that, it must have been kind of whimsical, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a really good word for it. I had,
0: yeah, I was like, it's um, a good question. So I, I started writing these poems, like, you, like you mentioned, as a kind of exercise um because I had just been writing these really you know up up until I started this project and started kind of experimenting with this voice I had been like writing poems that just felt so heavy to me and I I wanted I wanted to experiment with like introducing elements of like levity or lightheartedness um in into like poems about like grief and loss and um introducing the idea of Addressing all of your woes to a pet bird, like there's just something that was and this is there's something that's like like highly lonesome about that. And like kind of kind of, you know, this is something that's like um uh you know, it's it's not it's not totally, you know, it's not totally light, it's not totally um uh I don't know, without I don't know, without like implication of like pain or sadness, but there's I think like, you know, using the name of the bird it just kind of introduces like a whole other register, a whole other element. So I was experimenting with that. Um, and then, yeah, when she died, it just like the the device that I'd been using, like using her name, like that just automatically felt like apparently darker and had like a deeper significance to it. But then also like the poems instead of, the poems that up until that point, been largely about like, you know of heart like kind of heartbreak poems like grief that comes with the end of a you know like a significant romantic relationship um but then after that like the grief that i was talking about you know it kind of morph you know i'm i'm still talking about those things but it it also kind of morphs into talking to edith about the grief that i have over her own over her death and processing that um so i think it like both i think both things it, it definitely felt darker um because I'm now talking about her death, but also because then the, the whole, the whole device like just took on
1: a whole other, a whole other layer of meaning. Yeah. Well, I have to interrupt us here a minute to say you are listening to KSQD Santa Cruz. That's K Squid 90.7 community radio in Santa Cruz. I'm Lisa Ortiz, a host of the Hive Poetry Collective. And I'm talking with Meg Freitag about her book, Edith Um, and the um, idea of addressing the bird as um, both a kind of muse and um, and an intimate is so so interesting Um, and I also think this is not a bad time to transition to um, what you were saying about love and intimacy because so many of these poems become are actually about love poems. It's like e- Edith becomes the, your confidant um, about your own intimacy with lovers, mm-hmm. um, which is so wonderful too. It, that really reminds me of talking to the mirror, right? Because you can't, there, there's an intimacy that's beyond the intimacy we have with um, a lover. And that's kind of the intimacy with ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves about what's happening to us yeah. as close to another person. I wonder if you would read The Magician's Assistant on page 13. Sure.
0: The Magician's Assistants. The night we met, I saw half a shooting star horsey across the sky like a hurt animal. It felt really meaningful, you know. We lay down in the dirt, and he said he likes a girl who's not afraid to lie down in the dirt. At that age my heart was a house cat, fat, grey, super bummed out sometimes. Right away I learned that the right away I learned that his heart was the black box of an airplane shot down from the sky. The stars fell hissing into the river and rusted. Something inside me opossumed. He went to his car and brought back a large wooden box, made a motion with his hand for me to crawl inside. The moon started bouncing up and down along the horizon like the white dot that shows you when to sing the words in karaoke. Mercury must be in Gatorade, he said, and with that he sawed me in half right below the ribs. Everyone clapped. Then he pulled me whole again from the sleeve of his coat. I became a long, colorful thing with a silk face that showed all its feelings at once even the ones that no one's supposed to see. Embarrassed, he tried to stuff some of the uglier feelings back into his sleeve, but it just made a mess. Everyone booed. To be fair, I've always been the kind of person who can wear three or four different feelings at once and still fit inside a suitcase or a department store jewelry display case. And I can really bring something fresh, something me to it, I can also hold my breath until I pass out like dolphins in their small captivity tanks are known to do. I have another trick that's not ready yet in which I turn my fears of abandonment into baby goats. They'll follow me around and I will feed them oats and let them lick my open palms. I'll dress them in pajamas and caress their small velvet ears. The life expectancy of a goat is 15 to 18 years when well cared for. But these magic baby goats won't ever get any older. They'll keep so small, they won't ever
1: be able to reach the stovetop to make their own lunch. If you're just joining us and wondering what the heck is going on, <laughs> you, are, you are alive in the Hive Poetry Collective, putting the buzz in the poetry world here on SKSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 in Santa Cruz and that was Meg Freitag reading her poem The Magician's Assistant which you know is weird right from the beginning because the first line is the night we met I saw half a shooting star which lets you know things are weird but really not (laughs) like you know that's going to end with baby goats and I just want to say that before this interview I was following my husband around the house reading him this poem and he said And he just was doing his thing, and then he turned around and he said, well, "Where did the goats come from?" <laughs> I know. It's uh, I wondered that too. <laughs> like obviously, she turns her. She's a she's a magician too, and she turned her fear of abandonment into baby goats. It just makes sense. I mean, it's so obvious, right? <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh I have a lot of things to say about this, but i really I, you have to buy the book really to see Meg's um line breaks, which are so odd um and astonishing, but I also love your verbs here something inside me opossumed, mm-hmm. and you that a few times and here where you use nouns as verbs um so original and great um, and i what else did I want to say? Well, I guess asking um, I, I just find the even though this poem is disorienting because it's very odd, I think I find all the nouns in it orienting um, and all the animals in this book very orienting. When so much of the book is about um, things like fear of abandonment and intimacy and there's a lot of exploration about self and other, there are so many animals just, I mean, Edith is a big animal, right? She's the main character, but there are also just tons of little things that come into it. I love that poetry, you in particular, and I think poets in general are really grabbing all of it, all the nouns and all the things that are happening and putting it together in new ways. And I, I find this poem like that so much. I, uh, it's orienting in its disorienting manner. <laughs> do you have, do you want to talk a little bit about... Um, boxes or um <laughs> being contained you have some things about like being contained in here and here she's put in um the magician's box yeah but did you, yeah. Are you consciously thinking about boxes or do you ha- did you have any experiences with boxes as a kid or <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah I, d- I mean I did um I'm not sure that they're entirely related I guess you know it's, it's funny I wasn't I wasn't consciously thinking about boxes when I was writing this um manuscript but that's been a question that's come up in other interviews that I've done as well like you know like this idea of con- like containment or you know like inside like what's inside the box versus what's outside the box and um like the relationship or tension between those things and it never really occurred to me that that was such a like heavy theme until other people mentioned it um but i think like um you know i i definitely think this idea of like containment um you know i i see this book as largely like a coming of age story um the poem that i read earlier buildings roman is um uh, you know, kind of like kind of like a, like a miniature version of the way that I see the book as a whole to some extent. Um, and I think there is like this feeling in you know a coming of age story or in um, you know like the, the coming of age itself um, that is you know this this feeling of like coming out of a coming out of a long containment, you know, like kind of seeing the world in a bigger way for the For the first time, you know, and coming coming out of your own little world that's been constructed for you, mm-hmm. um, and so it just makes sense to me in that way. Um, and I think that was probably like you know operating in my subconscious when I was working on these poems. Um, when i when I was a kid, we used to build homes for ourselves out of large boxes. It's like one of my favorite things to do. We moved a lot. So we were always like, you know, we always had like refrigerator boxes and um, things like that around the room. Oh, really isn't doing.
1: that interesting? Yeah, kids who move around yeah. actually yeah. get <laughs> those pretend houses more. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's true. Um, and so I, it's like one of my absolute favorite things to do is make a little house for myself out of boxes. So that you know, I do have, um, I do have like I guess an intimate. I did have an intimate intimate experiences with boxes when I was a kid maybe that has something to do with it too probably probably does somewhere
1: somewhere inside me <laughs> yeah and maybe moving a lot too right is your um, your boxes your exterior world changes when you move a lot because did you say yeah. you in Texas and Maine and where else
0: Gosh, I lived in so many places when I was a kid. Um, Why did you and, move and in my ad- adulthood too? My dad was in the navy, ah. um, so we moved every every year or two. Um, and we had a house in Maine the whole time, and that was like the place that we would return to um, again and again. But you know, I lived in um, I lived in DC, I lived in New Jersey, uh, I lived in Florida, I lived in Uh, Toronto and Canada for a couple years I lived in San Diego Um, I lived in Rhode Island that's where I went to high school Um, I know I'm forgetting I know I'm
1: forgetting a couple places there's a couple more that um, makes so much sense to me that you were because there is something about your voice that has that's kind of crazy and open, but also has a real stability about it. I really wondered about your childhood. (laughs) Um, There is something very, I think you have to be pretty loved somehow to be as crazy as you are. (laughs) So I, I don't know if that's true, but that was my amateur that's
0: so interesting i'm gonna have i'm gonna continue thinking about that um i
1: also really interesting observation who's the guy who wrote um triggering town you know that uh did you ever read that book oh yeah is that is that hugo yeah oh no it's not richard hugo who is he's a northwest guy anyway he said something that i also think of you that like people who look weird on the outside said something like (laughs) he's noticed in his classes that if you look weird on the outside, you're not very weird inside, but if you look normal on the outside, you're often very weird inside. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that with you too. But also I read recently, cause I was researching it for something I was writing. Um, my mom's dad was in the Air Force. Um, so I know a little bit about the culture, but I was, I looked, I was reading the Wikipedia entry for army brats. But, and um, <laughs> oh. it's very long. Have you ever read it? no but i'm going to now yeah um it's very long and the it, there's evidently a culture and this yeah. strikes to me too there's a culture um that people share in common because um of just the the sameness of bases right and the discipline and um kind of uniformity of bases um and kind of the rules that are passed down about the military about you know what you can talk about and what you can't. That yeah, adds to a a pretty consistent culture that people share who grew up moving a lot, but with that shared experience. Yeah, that's
0: really interesting. I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna read that. Um, yeah,
1: but it is interesting that Edith dies outside of her cage too. You know?
0: Oh, it's Find true. Her. Yeah,
1: but she's inside. I mean, because the radiator is on the wall, right? So she's inside another cage. of your (laughs) your apartment. Yeah. And then she becomes your thing. Wow. If you're just joining us, uh, you might be confused, but this is KSQD Santa Cruz, and you are listening to the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm your host tonight, Lisa Allen Ortiz, speaking with the poet Meg Freitag, uh, author of the collection, Edith. Um, I have two more poems I'd like you to read, but I also want you to choose one. Um... To read so let's um, I wonder if you could read "Ghost of the Low Bush" on page 47. Yeah.. And we'll if I can this, is, this is one of those
0: ones I haven't visited in a while. Um, cool. "Ghost of the Low Bush." When time reclaims a landscape, it takes with it all evidence that something once lived there. I remember the blueberry fields blackening, a black dog running toward me with a bird's heart in her mouth. I remember mosquitoes biting through my jeans, my watch stopping just before midnight. The night Edith died, I felt like one of those ghosts that doesn't know it's a ghost until the train doesn't hit them, instead it moves through them. Then they realize they can't remember the last time they had a drink of water or tried to go home. I walked around my house dying to touch my forehead to a cool pane of glass, but every time i try it, my face would end up on the other side, covered in night. Loving something that's dead isn't the same thing as dying, but it isn't like being alive either, or perhaps it's a case of too much life how in that dream I kept having the sun was so bright it turned everything the same three colors until we couldn't tell ourselves apart from one another I don't want to forget this feeling because when I do it will mean she's all the way gone when he moved away I carried a letter from him around in my back pocket until the words all rubbed off and what remained was a soft fragile square. Then I stopped remembering what it had said, and I grieved for him a second time. On my back in the front lawn, I wept loud into the air, hoping that if maybe I made it feel something strong enough, the air would let me reach back through its masslessness into another time. Perhaps it would let me touch my own self's younger shoulder where she once sat, straddling a blue sundress sat straddling in a blue sundress, the crux of his barn roof. And the three of us would watch the sky turn the color of malt liquor as the farmers set their fields on
1: fire. Yes. (laughs) You're listening to K-Squid Santa Cruz. I'm in conversation with Meg Freitag. And um, earlier in the conversation, we were talking about looking in a mirror, when you were a child. Um, and then I wanted to talk about that in context of this uh, poem. But I also want to say the thing I love most about this poem, I love that last scene where the younger self is in a blue sundress um, straddling the barn roof. Um, because the younger self just comes there at the end, and you realize she's been there. Of course, she's been there the whole poem. and. I think she's Edith too, right? Because she's she looks like a little bird up there in her little blue sundress. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the book cover, Edith is blue. Um, so I think about that. I just love the way that works. That It's really the person we're talking to maybe the whole time is that little tiny self um, who's little and far away and kind of impeccable. I love how impeccable she is, even as the farmers are setting their fields on fire, which um, there's a lot of mourning in this book for um, how, how messed up the world has become. <laughs> um, and the focus of this, book it almost seems like that is a, a distraction. Like the speaker has to sometimes talk about global warming and wars and like the water running out and all these horrible things that are happening. And then she refocuses on the minutia, the little animals on, on um, Edith talks to Edith as a kind of mantra to keep herself focused but then you realize oh part of it is she's speaking to her smaller self like the experience she's having is the one she was born to have um and there's something so comforting about that um like when you say loving something that's dead isn't the same thing as dying but it isn't this like being alive either or perhaps it's the case of too much life I don't know, I think that is um really true. It's that focus on the past um mm-hmm. that doesn't keep it's it we're still alive when we're focused on the past, but it but we're not alive because we're not in the present um but it's almost like too much to have all those things together, yeah, yeah, and the lover I like the lover in here that's just so faint yeah Why isn't this um a poem that you read a lot out of here? It was interesting that you said that
0: you know it was actually one of the earlier one of the earlier poems. I think this is maybe one of the first ones that I wrote right after she died. Um, it
1: has a less um uh, less meg Freitag tone to it. It's more um it's not so not baby goats jumping out of it, or yeah, whatever. right <laughs> um, so it has a more standard format or something. I can kind of see that. But, um, so original and really like kind of primal, right. It brings back some of those big, the bird, uh, the the black dog running toward you with the bird heart in his mouth and other things that, um, you know, animals in animals and mouths in other, other parts of things come up again and again. Uh, And the ghosts. Yeah. The ghosts. I've been thinking since you said that about um, uh, Stephen King. Is this for Stephen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, (laughs) I wanted to ask you, maybe this is a good time to ask you about fiction, but I was thinking, you know, the problem with reading, I think a lot of writers become writers because we were readers first, right? We were readers when we were kids or at some point we just read something and then we want to become writers. And it struck me recently that it's kind of like child abuse in the way that it's passed out. Like, you know, you read an Alice Monroe story and you just feel kind of sad and sick afterwards. And all you want to do is make someone else feel sad and sick. <laughs>
0: like yeah, totally.
1: You think it's sort of like that? Like you read about ghosts and all you want to do is make someone else creeped out. Yeah. <laughs> but can you um in the context of that or in some other context that you have used? <laughs> um can you talk a little bit about your um, fiction writing and its relationship to poetry or its difference or uh, anything you want to say about, because I know you're focusing on that. Are you still writing poems at all? Um,
0: <clears throat> yeah, I am. Um, it's definitely taken a bit of a back seat for me. Um, I've been trying to uh, dedicate most of my creative energies to the the fiction um, right now. I guess, um, but it is it is something I think a, about a lot, like the relationship between the two genres, um, particularly because uh, fiction is um, fiction is very very challenging for me. Still, like I feel like um, it's a lot it's a lot newer for me. It's something that I started doing. Um, it was while I was getting my my first MFA um, I started, I took some fiction workshops um, and started writing fiction then. Um, But, you know, I'd, I'd been writing poetry since I was, it was like the, the form that I was initially drawn to. And I'd been writing poetry since I was in elementary school and, you know, had studied it in undergrad. And so I, I feel a lot more comfortable and familiar um, in poetry, whereas fiction, I'm still, I still feel like I'm just figuring it out. Um, Like there's, so much to it that i don't really understand like i read a good i read it i read a good poem i read a poem that i really like and i you know i i can think about it and kind of figure out like the you know the machinations of the poem and like what's you know what are, what are the what are the things that are going on in this poem to like make it so good and make it appeal to me so much like that's something i can you know th- think about and kind of figure out you know most of the time but I i read um I read a good short story and, or even a good novel. And I'm like, it it seems like, like mystical to me. Like there's just some magic that happens in it. And I can't, I can't figure out, I can't always figure out what is, what's happening in that story to make it so good make it, you know, impact me so much. Um, So I think, um, you know, I, I guess as I'm learning more about fiction and as I'm, kind of realizing the extent of like the extent of like what I have left to learn and what I feel like I don't know about the form. Um, you know, I I think about like kind of how I got there, how I got there with poetry. And I, I don't know, try to try to like remember that. And, um, you know, think like, you know, if I, if I spend enough time with this form, like it'll become familiar and comfortable to me. Um, But I also think about, um, you know, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about um, kind of like the, the artificial like parameters of a genre and how um, that's something that's like largely imposed in the first place by literate, like literary marketing. Um, And how, you know, like, you know, this idea of like, you know, if it, like writing like fiction versus nonfiction versus poetry, writing things in verse, um, you know, writing like, uh, like genre, genre fiction. Um, like, you know, is this like, is this uh fantasy? Is this science fiction? Is this, you know, and how those, um, you know, those parameters are, um, you know, they, they feel artificial to me in a lot of ways. And, um, and I've been, I've been, I guess I've been I've been trying to come to my writing from a place where I'm just like how like how do how do I want to write this how how does this 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 story that I want to write or this like you know this like little like excerpt or vignette or this image that I'm like driven to write about like how does this want to be written about like does it want to be written about in you know like like pretty straightforward prose. Is this something that would be better served in verse? Um, And letting myself, um, you know, like I guess like the the form kind of come from the inside rather than being something that is externally imposed on what I'm writing at the time. So I've actually been finding myself since I've been thinking about this more and more, I've been finding myself uh, working on, things that are actually probably considered to be hy- hybrid work. Um, so uh, the, the, the fiction piece that I'm working on right now that has a lot of momentum for me um, is actually, uh, it's like a, um, you know, I, I guess I, I've been calling it a, a lyrical narrative. Um, so it's a, a story that's told in verse, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been really that's been really freeing for me I was I was um sort of nervous I like turned it in for like I turned the first section of it in for workshop um last month and I was really really nervous about you know like I felt like I was kind of cheating by um writing like put like I don't know writing like poetry for my fiction workshop but um but everyone seemed to understand what I was doing and respond to it pretty well. And I got a lot of encouragement to continue on that, um, that path. So I'm just, just kind of going for it now. So that's what, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, as far as fiction is concerned, but, um, but I guess I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to approach my writing right now, less, like less thinking about like these like restrictions, the genre, imposes um if that makes any sense
1: yes I really like what you said about letting the piece work name itself from inside out Um, yeah Ursula Gwynn wrote an essay where Eve goes around and unnames all the animals oh Um, cool and I was thinking about that you know that like putting because putting names on things is ends up being limiting in what is a it's of course by writing we're naming things anyway right? yeah. <laughs> but um you almost you almost i just like what you were saying about to unname the genre allows the, the whatever needs to be said to come from the inside instead of trying to um fit into something or, or yeah copy it because i think that i think that's true like what i said earlier about alice monroe and child abuse that we're trying to kind of recreate things in some ways, that's great, right? Because we're having some huge conversation that doesn't belong to us. But I think when it is limiting is when we're trying too hard to, to do what someone else expects. You know, when you read something sometimes that's just too derivative or not interesting. I think yeah. some, or when I write something like that, <laughs> trying to, um, I'm trying to try something on that's not that's not about the work at hand.
0: Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good point. Um I do think like um I do think we can learn a lot from like like mimicry though and trying to write in like trying trying to write like writers we admire and we respect. I think you can figure out a lot about writing that way. Um but I, I wouldn't it's I, I don't know that I'd always recommend like trying trying to get that Work published, you know. <laughs> um, <That's> right, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, you are listening to KSQD Santa Cruz, and I'm in conversation with Meg Freitag. And unfortunately, our time is almost at the end. Meg, I wonder if you would read as a kind of farewell for us the poem for Meg, which is one of my favorite, and it's like the third from the end here. Um, oh, yeah. And in case we're cut off um, or we have to end, I just want to say thank you so much for. Um, being here, and I hope everyone gets a chance. If you haven't read it already, uh, get a copy of Edith and have yourself a great old time. And here is Meg Freitag reading a poem for Meg from Edith. Thank you so much,
0: Lisa. Uh, Poem for Meg. I have loved, I have loved like someone leaving all the lights on all night long. Like even the white cotton sun was stuck at a Was stuck at its crux above the houses perpetually swabbing the iodine sky and no one the whole world over slept for four years i have loved like being very small swimming in a saucer of warm milk with no eyes i have loved like a glass of water on the bedside table with no water in it i have loved like a ghost wearing a bedsheet ghost costume as a disguise. Last week, there was still a buoyant spot on the wall from the face of his watch, disappearing for half a second each time he turned a page in his book. It never fails to astound me the way each person has so many different creatures inside them. Take me, for instance, a golden lab lapping the condensation from a bottle of beer A hunter that wants to make sure he can kill the animal with the first shot as to not cause it unnecessary suffering. A child who does nothing but pretend to sleep. And this single, demonic little snake. I am beginning again. Again my life, a sheet at the foot of the bed. Two holes where my eyes once were. At dusk, the grocery store parking lot fills up with ugly blue-black birds. They dye the sky. Mothers walk by, pressing their hands to their children's ears. In the false night, I sit in my car and eat a small white cake. It was half off, someone else's name already written on it in green gel. Someone with my same name. With a plastic fork, I eat it all. Meg, I eat our entire cake and it is delicious. So much lighter than I thought it would be.
1: Thank you, Meg Vitek for visiting K-Squid in Santa Cruz. Thank you so much, Lisa, this was wonderful.